0: Thank you, thank you, church. And to our pastors, elders, council members, thank you for affirming me in this pursuit. Thank you for the words that you just spoke over me, the ones you said on Thursday. I pray that God will truly find me faithful to the charge you just set before me. Church, my brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, thank you for being family to Natasha and I. I don't stand up here on my own strength, merit, or discipline. You all have built me. And so I pray that you would take encouragement in today. To my family, thank you. You see the best and the worst in me. And you love me through it all. And so thank you for doing that and being the first ones to point me to Jesus. I love you. More than all of this, though, I want to thank our God, because he's the one who makes this possible. So would you please join me in prayer as we begin? Father, how could we thank you enough for your grace, your grace that knows no end? God, without it, we would be lost. We would be on a road headed to destruction, but you saved us by the power of your spirit, through the gospel of Jesus. And we stand today firm on your word. God, I pray now that you would speak. Get me out of the picture. May you take center stage. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, if you didn't know me before, you now know I'm a crier. (laughs) And uh, if you're a crier, too, you're in good company. So with that said, if you got your Bibles, let's jump in. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 today. If you want to use the Bible in front of you, it's on page 948. And I'm excited to share about this passage because it talks about the race that we're all called to run in this life. And it's had a huge impact upon me. And so I pray that it will have an impact on you. Hebrews chapter 12, that's in the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Amen. Let's look at the beginning. Our first phrase says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Pause. Who is this group of people? The cloud of witnesses. Well, what's the first word in our passage today? Therefore. That's right. And if you ever see that term in Scripture, it typically means some pretty important information came just before these verses. So let's briefly look back at chapter 11. One of the main purposes of of the book of Hebrews is to clearly describe what faith in God looks like. In chapter 11 spells that out. In verse one, it gives a definition for what faith is. In verse six, it continues to show the importance of faith to God. And then through the rest of the chapter, it describes example after example of people who modeled true faith. People like Noah, Abraham, and Moses. The point of this whole chapter is that these men and women remained faithful as they waited for God's promises to come to pass. That's the context for chapter 12, verse 1. So who are the great cloud of witnesses? They are the faithful believers who have gone before us. Not just from chapter 11, but many more have come since then every faithful believer who's gone before us is a part of the great cloud of witnesses. Now, some at this point can get tripped up with this verse. Uh, Some might be tempted, well, what's the great cloud of witnesses? What's their experience like? Like, can they see us? It says witnesses. Like, how how much do they see of my life? What, What really is this all about? Well, let me encourage you, this verse is actually not about that. It is not, that's not the point of this verse. The point of this verse is actually to take encouragement, to take inspiration and courage from those who have gone before us as they have followed in Christ's path. So in light of this great cloud of witnesses, the scripture continues by saying, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with perseverance, sorry, with endurance, the race that is set before us. This, my brothers and sisters, is the charge given to us today. This is what we are called to do. And so let's evaluate it. What does it mean to lay aside every weight? Well, it's not referring to the weight we've been trying to lose since January, (laughs) although That's a good endeavor for those of you who are trying. Keep going. This is referring to non-simple but unhelpful priorities. That's what this word weight means in this context. Non-simple but unhelpful priorities. Because throughout our lives, tons of things are going to try to vie for our attention. Everywhere you look, you're trying to be pulled for your attention, your resources, your energy. And the question we need to ask when something is coming into our path is not, is this sinful? The question we need to ask is, does this help me pursue Jesus? Talk about changing the ballgame right there. It's not about, is this right or wrong? Does this actually help me pursue Jesus? And over time, we will find that God will convict us of things in our lives that may not inherently be sinful, but are becoming a distraction. They're pulling us away from what God has in store. And so weights can actually look different depending on the person. What's a weight for one person might not be a weight for another. Our call in that moment is not to cast immediate judgment on that person. Our call is to lay aside every weight in our lives and lovingly ask how others can lay aside weights in theirs. You might be wondering at this point, well, what's an example, Bill? Well, I'm glad you asked. Where are all my big football fans in the room? Don't worry, I'm not going to go too hard on you. Where are they? Yes, love you guys. The draft just happened this weekend. Hope it worked out well for your team. Now, where are all my big football fans in the room? As the world knows it, soccer. Yes, my people. I am a huge fan of the Liverpool Football Club. All right, we got a few. I didn't even know this. They are a soccer team out in England, and I could watch them all day. They're incredible. We're not having the best season this year, but don't worry, we'll get back. It's amazing, though, what they can pull off, the precision, the execution, and I love watching their games. But if I'm not careful, I'll start to watch the post-game interviews, I'll want to watch the pregame leading up to it. I want to see the highlights, even practices. Who's going to be joining our squad soon? Who's injured? And it's really fun. But it's only fun until you realize that it's stealing time away from your son. Or it's taking away from meaningful experiences with your wife. Or you realize you're more motivated to get up in the morning for the early game than you are motivated to get up early for prayer. That's what weights do. They're not inherently sinful at the outset, but they provide a space in which we can easily become distracted from what God has called us to. And so what's the weight in your life? What is that thing that's not inherently sinful, but you could spend hours interacting with, and it may be pulling you from all that God has called you to? I think God wants to do some work in that area today. Now, remember, there's a big difference between weights and sin. As we described, a weight can differ depending on the person. What's an issue in one person's life might not be an issue in another's. But when we look at the next term, sin, that changes completely. Sin is equally applicable to all of our lives. There's no debate as to whether we should allow this into our lives or not. But how do we know what sin is? It's through God's Word. And God's Word clearly defines sin as thoughts or actions that go directly against God's designs and commands. Thoughts or actions directly against God's designs or commands. And we see that clearly articulated all throughout the Bible. And so, Let me encourage you, if you're questioning what should be your standard for what's sin and what's not, please don't make it yourself. That does not lead to good for us individually or for others around us. We need a standard outside of ourselves. So let's study God's word. This scripture makes it really clear that we actually have to take this pretty seriously because sin is persistent, it's not just here or there. It's persistent. Our scripture says that it clings so closely. And Paul strongly resonated with this statement. In Romans seven fifteen, he said, I don't understand what I do. The good I want to do, I do not do. The evil I want to avoid, this I find myself doing. And so it is paramount that we take this seriously. And actually, our scripture goes one step further, saying, we need to take care of every weight and sin. Isn't that what it says? Lay aside every weight and sin. You're going to be like, Bill, all right, that's at another level. Like, I can't have one guilty pleasure that I just keep hold of. Well, why is that? It's because every weight slows us down, Right? any runner, they're trying to become as fast as possible. Every weight slows us down. And every sin, sin does not lead to life. Sin ultimately leads to death. James 1.15 makes that really clear. And so when the scripture says, lay every weight in sin, it's not for your detriment, brothers and sisters. It is for your good, When you lay aside weight and sin, you don't have to question whether it will lead to greater satisfaction in Jesus. Given time and persistence, it always, always will. So as we identify weights and sin in our lives, what do we do? Like, all right, I've got something in my brain. I think God needs to do something with that. What do I do next? The best way to lay aside weights, and sin is to confess them, to confess them before God and before others. Pastor Bill reminded us of the importance of this a few weeks ago when we talked about living in community, that we are built when we confess these things to one another. So let me encourage you to confess today. But secondly, let me encourage you to embrace God's forgiveness that's offered to you today. It says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. It's not like he's holding out on you. All right, let's see how good you get. No, immediately God gives you forgiveness. So embrace it. And then thirdly, let's set up habits that help us avoid these things in our lives. So if you're feeling convicted right now, confess, embrace, and avoid. That is what we're called to do. So... What is the one thing that is hindering you from running more diligently in the race? I think all of us, whether we follow Jesus for a little bit of time or a long time, or perhaps you don't follow Jesus at all, all of us have an answer to this question. Now, that's what we're called to avoid. So that's the bad news, right? What are we called to pursue? Let's continue in our passage. It says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is what we're called to pursue. But what's the race? What's the race that we're called to run? We need to be really clear on this because if we don't have clarity on the race, we could have the right motive and desire, but we could be pursuing the very wrong thing. So what's the race Well, we see in another passage of scripture, Jesus makes this really clear. It's in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus says to his disciples, these are the last words that he gives them before ascending to the Father in heaven. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. The race is not the competition of the corporate world. The race is not getting your family to the next level, to be just ahead of others. The race is not to have the best body you can possibly create. The race is not to retire with a boatload of money and live out the American dream. The race, my brothers and sisters, is to make disciples of all nations, for that is the thing that will last for eternity. So are you running the race? Am I running the race? Perhaps there's some of you who would say you're not. You're running your own race. Pursuing the world's desires or your desires rather than God's. Could I encourage you to switch races today? You will never make a better decision in your life. The race you're currently running, it's a dead end. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to satisfaction. Jesus is worth surrendering to. And he will give you a life unlike you've ever known. Now, we're not just called to run the race. We're called to run it in a specific way. What does it say in our passage? It says, let us run with endurance. Ooh, this is a key word for our passage. We're actually going to see it three times today. And uh, you might think you know what endurance means, uh, but in the original Greek, it's, it's called hupomone. And the reason that's important is because when we think of endurance, or rather, when I first thought of endurance, I thought of somebody who would just kind of hold on tight and just wait for whatever was happening to end. You endure it, you, you stay rooted, and all right, you've survived. That's not what this word actually means. This word, rather than holding on tight and waiting for it to end, hupamone means that we take an unwavering, unswerving resolve to continue moving forward. That's the endurance that this scripture is talking about. Not just waiting. All right, let me just get to the end. No, even in the obstacle, in the fight, in the struggle, we keep walking forward, not letting anything pull us aside or stop us. That's the endurance. And so we have a weighty charge. We have a difficult task that is laid before us. You don't do something with endurance when something's easy. And so we have to ask, how do we do this? How do we run the race? Our passage is so helpful. Let's continue. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. There it is. How do we run the race? Ultimately, we look to Jesus. I love the way a number of translations say this. Yours might say, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Or perhaps it says, looking only to Jesus. Or perhaps, keeping our eyes on Jesus. With these multiple phrases, I think it's very clear. We don't just look to Jesus when it's convenient or when we need something. No, we look to him at every moment of every day. We keep our eyes fixed on him. It actually reminds me of my son, Billy. Uh, if you've never met him, he's the cutest kid in the entire world. And I'm definitely not biased, but no, he's pretty amazing. And uh, see, Billy loves something called bread. How many of you love bread? I know, I, I love it. Pita, non bread, the Cheesecake Factory, brown bread. Oh, so good. See, that's what Tasha and I have in our fridge all the time. And that's what Billy loves. And so we have to be really careful. Because if we pull it out and he gets a look, bread, bread, (laughs) bread, and he's running. I mean, it doesn't matter what he was playing with. It doesn't matter what kind of food we try to dangle in front of him. It doesn't matter even if we're in the way. He's going to push, 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 until he gets, boom, that bread. See, the bread is all that Billy wants. And so it doesn't matter what's put in his path. He's going to keep going after that. Is Jesus all that we want? Is he the one that we won't, where we'll only be satisfied by him? Where nothing else that's put in our path, trying to distract us, trying to satisfy us, where it won't work. Jesus is the one that we want Oh, I pray that for myself and for us, right? So that's what it means to look to Jesus. He's the only one we want. But why? Why would we look to Jesus? It's because he's better, right? He's better than the weight and sins that could possibly come into our lives because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what the passage says. He's the founder and perfecter. Jesus is the founder because he made the way. He did the thing that nobody else could do, lived the perfect life that we were called to but can't, died the death that we deserve, and rose from the grave victorious, saying that we too shall live if we place our faith and trust in him. And so he is our founder, and not just our founder, but the giver. Ephesians 2, 8 makes that clear. He gives us faith. And then it says that he's the perfecter, the perfecter of our faith. 1 Thessalonians 5 makes it really clear. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then to verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So are we looking to him to do it? Are we looking to our God to be the founder and perfecter of our faith? Or are we just trying to do it in our own strength? Our strength, it is finite. Christ's, it knows no end. And so what do we do in order to run the race with endurance? We look to Jesus. Because by looking to Jesus, we are more able to lay aside weight and sin. And get this, by laying aside weight and sin, we are more able to consistently look to Jesus. They're like two pedals to the same bike. You can't expect to fix your eyes on Jesus without laying aside weight and sin. You'll be caught up with distractions. But we also can't expect to lay aside weight and sin without focusing upon Jesus. Just imagine if you tried one without the other. It'd be like pedaling with one pedal. we look into Jesus. You know, he's good for a time, but what happens when you pedal with one pedal? You begin to steer off course pretty fast. And if we just look to Jesus, we're going to use him as a license to sin rather than the one that we actually surrender to and model our lives after. And then if we Pedal with laying aside weight in sin. Well, that might work for a little while, but the same thing will happen. We'll end up actually finding it too difficult to lay aside weight in sin. And so we'll either give up or we'll become self-righteous. Where I laid aside sin on my power and look at me, I'm incredible. No, it is with both that we can truly follow after Jesus. We look to Jesus because he is worthy. And so because he's worthy, we see, man, laying aside weight in sin, it's worth it. But even when we fail, we see that Jesus' grace is enough. And so that it makes us even more desirous to follow after him. And we find that in any circumstance, when we're looking to Jesus and laying aside weight in sin, it is worth it. So will you do it? Will you do both? Our verse continues on by describing what Jesus did to become the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's continue. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus overcame two things in this passage. It says that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. There's our word again, right? Hupomone. Jesus consistently unswervingly fixed his eyes on pursuing what God had planned for him, the cross. He endured the cross. He could have avoided Jerusalem. He could have put up resistance when he was arrested. He says that he could even have taken 12 legions of angels and had them take him off the cross. But he didn't. He endured the cross. And it says he despised the shame What does this mean? It means that Jesus saw the shame for what it was. That it was nothing compared to the reward that would come through going through the shame on the other side. And so why could Jesus endure the cross and despise the shame? It's because he had his eyes set on something better than both of those. He had his eyes set on the joy that was set before him. See, the cross and the shame, that was not the joy for Jesus. The joy was after them. It was post-cross, post-grave. The joy was the future glory that the Father would bestow upon him. Because Jesus knew, if I endure the cross and I'm risen from the grave, at that point, the Father, Matthew said it well last week, will give him the name that is above every other name, that the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow. That was the joy that Jesus was looking to. But that wasn't the full joy. He was also looking to the reconciliation of God and humanity. Jesus had you in mind and me in mind when he was on the cross. He was going to pay for the sin that caused this conflict, this divide. He was going to bring reconciliation between God and humanity. And so if he did that, is he not worth following? Is he not worth surrendering to? Jesus showed us a very important principle. He was focused on the goal, not on the obstacles. And so what's the goal that you are focused on today? Is it a goal that is of God, or is it my own goal? Because Jesus overcame these, our passage says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This means that he's victorious, and he's in control. He has overcome. He's not pacing back and forth wondering, oh no, how's this going to work out? Will they be able to overcome? Will my people be able to endure? No, he's seated. He's in control. He's not concerned because he knows that his plans cannot be thwarted. And so whatever it is you're going through, it does not have the final word. Christ does. And praise God for that. This is the image that we're given of our God in this verse that he endured, that he rose, that he's seated at the right hand. And so scripture is right to say at the beginning of verse 3, consider him. Consider him, not the witnesses, not our own experiences, not our own feelings when we feel like life's falling apart. We're called to consider Christ who. Endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. We're called to consider Christ because persecution is guaranteed for followers of Jesus. We saw it in our master. Jesus was murdered for the things that he was declaring. And Jesus promises for his followers that persecution will be experienced by them as well. In John 15, he says it, specifically verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But Jesus endured, right? And there's our final word, hupomone. He endured. He had an unwavering resolve to move forward because he knew that every step he took forward was one step closer to the ultimate prize. And Christ has said that you and I can endure as well. John 16, verse 33, just listen to these words. Jesus says to his disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This whole passage is about getting our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own ability to stay motivated, to be disciplined, to fight sin on our strength, and onto Christ. Because as we set our mind on Christ, we will be able to avoid being weary or faint-hearted. In light of this verse... It's actually very clear that if we do not consider Christ, we can easily grow distracted, weary, discouraged, or bitter. It's a hard world out there, right? Jesus says we will face tribulation. And as some of you are facing tribulation now, some of you are questioning. Questioning whether to persevere in your marriage. Questioning whether to perse- persevere in pursuing your friends and family who are not surrendered to Jesus. You're questioning whether perhaps it's worth it to fight this battle of sin or whether to stand up for Jesus in the workplace or whether all of this is worth it in surrendering your life to Christ. To you, Jesus says, take heart, don't give up. I have overcome the world. And so consider him. Consider him, because countless men and women who have gone before us have done the same so that they would not grow weary or lose heart. And it makes me think of several people I knew who were faithful believers in Jesus, who had an impact on my life and perhaps had an impact on yours. It makes me think of Garth Sangry, a short life, well-lived. It makes me think of James Mitchell, one of the most joyful people you could possibly meet. It makes me think of Steve Bubar. It makes me think of my grandfather, Bill Hood Sr., or my grandmother, Anita Nelson. It makes me think of Joanne Young. It makes me think of Bob Tenney's. Who does this make you think of? from your life. Brothers and sisters, if they could stand here on this stage, they would shout for us, it is worth it. It's worth it. So go, run, surrender your life to Jesus. Don't question it. Give it up. Lay aside weight in sin. Fix your eyes on him. There's nothing better. And one day, For us as believers, we will embrace those who have gone before us. We will see them again. But even better than that, we will see the face of the one who we've always longed for. We'll see the face of the one who our soul was made for. We'll see the one who literally just carried us through death and has presented us to himself safe, pure, perfected, we're going to get to see the face of Jesus. And that is worth enduring for, is it not? So consider today, what is God calling you to? Is there a weight or sin that you need to lay aside as you seek to run the race? Is there a situation that you need to persevere in that God's gonna see you through? Or perhaps you are called to surrender your life to Jesus today. Don't neglect what God is doing in your life right now. Don't neglect what he's doing in your heart. This is the day to put a stake in the ground and say, no more, I'm moving forward. And you can do that with the person next to you You can do that with one of our prayer team members after the service, but don't walk out of here without doing business with God. He is worth our time. He's worth our resources, our families, and our lives. So don't resist the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask right now, perhaps there are some of us this whole time that have been just trying to resist what you're doing what your word says, we pray that that would break down right now, that we would say, yes, God, you are better. Yes, I'm willing to surrender. Yes, I give it up. God, we thank you that you set the example for us. You persevered through so much more than we have to, rejection after rejection from humanity. And yet you said, I'm still going to pursue these people. I'm going to make a way. And you call us to yourself right now. Father, we pray that we would answer that call with yes. That we would not fear. That we would see our God is worth it. And we pray that you would have your way. Jesus, we thank you for your great love. How could we possibly question it? You who would go to such lengths. We simply pray that we would live in a life of surrender. That you would be the chief joy of our lives. So take it all, oh God. We love you. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.